You're tuned in to 90.7 FM, KALX Berkeley. I'm Andrew Saintsing, and this is The Graduates, the interview talk show where we speak to UC Berkeley graduate students about their work here on campus and around the world. Today, I'm joined by Eli Melferber from the Department of Integrative Biology. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Eli. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Pretty good, you know, all things considering right now. So, Eli, uh, I hear you study tomatoes? Sort of. Um, I study the bacteria that live on tomatoes, specifically the bacteria that live on the uh, leaf surfaces. Okay. So you study bacteria on the leaves of tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Why? Yeah. I'm looking at the uh, host microbiome interaction. So trying to understand how the bacteria living on an organism can provide different functions for it. So in this case, it's how bacteria that live on the leaves of tomatoes could protect them from disease, but you could also apply it to like the bacteria living in the guts of you or I. Oh, cool. Yeah. I hear about microbiomes all the time. Mm -hmm. We got to eat yogurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Get the active cultures. Right, right, right. So wait, like plants need bacteria to get rid of diseases. So plants are like, like what kind of diseases are plants fighting? Uh, well, plants can get all sorts of diseases, uh, viruses, bacteria, uh, fungal pathogens, all of that stuff. Uh, I focus mostly on bacterial. Uh, so I study a lot of different bacteria. The uh, model pathogen we use, so the bacteria that causes disease is Pseudomonas syringae. So that causes uh, bacterial spec. What's bacterial spec? Uh, so if you've ever seen a tomato or a tomato leaf that has a bunch of tiny little black dots on it, that's bacterial spec. What does it, it do? Probably, is it, uh, does it kill the plant? Yeah, so it's a, uh, yeah, it'll infect the plant and eventually kill it. Uh, most tomatoes that we grow for like food production are resistant to it, which is good, but it is uh, breaking out in some new agricultural cultivars. So uh, kiwis, for example, right now are super, super sensitive to a certain strain of pseudomonas syringae that's like wiping them out. Oh, okay. Wait, so people have engineered or like bred tomatoes to be resistant to this bacteria? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so mo most cultivars that you would have out in the field are resistant to it, but we studied the uh, more sensitive ones in the lab. I got you. And, the, and so kiwis are having a breakout, so they're not resistant to it, but they no. also generally don't encounter it? Uh, so previously they hadn't. Uh, it usually infects leaf tissue, but in kiwis, it's, uh, the bacteria is actually mutated, and so now it affects the uh, wood, woody tissue, so it causes uh, tankers. I can't remember the exact name of the disease. I think it's like a bleeding tanker disease. A bleeding canker? Yeah, so it causes this gross red sap to like leak out of the trunk of the kiwi, so it looks kind of like it's bleeding, and it'll kill the whole tree. Gross. Wait, does this bacteria... I guess, like, can you even get a fruit from it if it has, the, if it's infected? Uh, I think it sort of depends on when it was infected and how extensive it is, but it definitely does impact yield. I see. So you study how these plants are using microbiomes that would prevent these bacteria from infecting them, basically? Yeah, sort of. Um, I focus a little bit more on the microbiome side. So there are two ways that a plant can be protected from a pathogen, a bacterial pathogen. Um, one of them is through the plant immune system. And 
that can also be triggered by the bacteria living on them. So you can have uh, good bacteria, let's just call them, that uh, kind of get the plant immune system ready to go, sort of like the uh, theory of immune priming like humans. So you want to be exposed to a lot of stuff so your immune system develops correctly. Um, it's not exactly the same in plants, but sort of like that. So if you have bacteria that are, say, closely related to a pathogen, um, that could make the plant more able to fight off the pathogen when it eventually meets it. So that's, Wait, that's one. Yeah. You're saying that plants have immune systems? Yeah. Very advanced immune systems, actually. Dang. Wait, so like, so we have what the like white blood cells that roam around and target things that are foreign, right? In our uh, bodies. Yeah, in our bodies. Plants but are very different. Plants have something similar? Uh, it's actually really cool how different it is. So humans have what's called acquired immunity. So you have to encounter something first and then your body will uh, mount a defense to it. Plants have innate immunity. So they're basically born with all the immunity that they'll ever have. And it's uh, regulated. It can be regulated plant-wide through hormone signaling, but uh, fundamentally it happens on a cell-by-cell -cell response. Okay. So a single cell has everything it needs to fight any pathogen that it might encounter that it's prepared for. So, okay, but you, so you're saying that it's born with it, basically, that it's yeah. innate, but that different cells might be prepared for different foreign invaders. Um, sort of. So it, it's innate, and all of the cells are prepared for all of the foreign invaders, or at least capable of responding to all of the foreign invaders. Um, that <laughs> the plant was born with the ability to deal with. It gets pretty complicated. I see. Um, okay. But so you were saying that the, that if a plant has bacteria that are similar to the potential bad bacteria that it needs to fight off, then it is mm -hmm. more prepared to fight yeah. this bad bacteria off. Yeah, because it'll basically see that bacteria and recognize it. Um, and a lot of the immune system in plants uses conserved recognition sequences. So we call them uh, MAMPs, uh, microbe-associated molecular proteins. Um, and so those are shared across uh, wide, wide swaths of bacteria. So if you see a MAMP, for example, uh, that's similar to that of a pathogen, then the plant will recognize it and start responding. And because it started responding in that case too early because there wasn't actually a pathogen there, it'll still be ready if a pathogen comes later. Oh, okay. So a plant, so like in the seed, the embryo mm -hmm. has all of these recognition, has all the abilities to recognize these pathogens. Yep. But once it grows up, then it's actually starting to see these pathogens. Yeah, and it'll and start if, responding. Uh, if it's been exposed, then it ramps up the defense to those pathogens early or, yeah. or later, exactly. depending on when it encounters. Cool. Okay. So, so sorry, yeah, so that's one, that's one way that the uh, plant can be protected from pathogens by the microbiome. Um, and that, that's not really what I study, although that is super interesting. So then I looked at the other way, which okay. is more of an ecological um, framework. So if you have the bacteria living on the plant, uh, they perform certain roles and they have different things, et cetera. So they take up all of the niche space on the plant. And if you have bacteria already on the plant that aren't pathogens, that use all of the same chemicals that the pathogen would need, uh, it can't establish at all to start with. So how does, 
how does a plant build a good community or like, yeah, how, how would it select for that? That's the question. Um, so we know a little bit about how that works in the rhizosphere. So that's the root uh, structures of the plant underground. Okay. Um, and so the plant can release different chemicals that attract certain bacteria. And then those bacteria will drive away other bacteria basically by outcompeting them. So that's and those super chemicals important. are also innate, like the plant yes. is primed to release those chemicals to attract those bacteria when it's in its seed and yeah. starts growing. I see. Yeah, all genetic. Um, so we know that happens in the roots. We don't know if that happens in the leaf tissue yet. So that's one of the things that's super interesting is seeing if different genotypes um, specifically select for different types of bacteria. So the, in plants and the roots, they have, it's, they also have like a bunch of fungi that mm -hmm. are down there, right? And so like those fungi are also interacting with the bacteria and everything and like, so like it's kind of complicated, right? Yeah, it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. Okay. But you don't, you don't really focus on the roots or? Uh, I don't really focus on the roots and I don't really focus on fungi either. So, so but there aren't really those fungi like on the leaves like you would well, be stuck. There are fungi on the leaves. There are actually a ton of fungi on the leaves. Oh, um, so I'm sure that they do play some role. Uh, we don't really know exactly what yet. And so, so fungi are a little bit harder to study in the community sense than bacteria because, so bacteria all have um, a 16S RNA. Um, so their ribosome has a certain conserved region on it. Uh -huh. uh, and all bacteria have a certain segment that's conserved. So you can design a primer and perform PCR and amplify basically any type of bacteria. I guess we should say like, so what is a ribosome again? Yeah, so a ribosome is the uh, part of the cell that produces proteins. Um, it's re they read the RNA and then construct protein basically. And so those are like really important to the cell. And so those kind of stay consistent in yeah so there are some parts the parts that bind to the different segments of rrna for example it kind of has to be a certain way or else it won't fit so those basically never change in bacteria or if they do very slowly um, so you can kind of design a primer that'll match that sequence and it'll fit to like 99 percent of bacteria or something you can amplify that so uh pcr polymerase chain reaction where you uh, use some template to amplify a certain targeted region. Uh, you can use that and amplify all of the 16S RNA sequences in a sample, for example. And uh, once you have all of those RNA sequences, you have the conserved bit, so you can design a primer that'll amplify all of them, but you also have some highly variable parts later on, and then you can use those to distinguish between different bacteria that are in the same sample. Cool. So this is how you're studying, um, how you're finding out what bacteria you're looking at, basically. Yeah. You just kind yeah, of like so take some leaves, you grind them up, and you just look at what's going on using these. Uh, you just kind of are able to select for the specific bacteria ribosomes. That's why mm -hmm. we're focused on ribosomes, because you have like specific tags or um, something that you can target those particular strands of DNA. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, so that, that's why it works very well for bacteria. Um, and then fungi have some analogs to that, but they're not as universal as 
the cystinous rRNA one is in bacteria. So it's a lot harder to study the whole fungal community. I see. Right. So we got distracted. Sorry, I distracted us <laughs> from the study of bacteria. So, but you're focused in on the bacterial community in leaves. Mm-hmm. Um, so you were saying that the rhizosomes, the roots of the plants, uh, release proteins or chemical c- signals that mm-hmm. like get, get the bacteria to come to them. I guess yeah. these bacteria are just like living in the soil that the plant is going to grow in. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then, but it's less clear how the leaves recruit these bacteria. Mm-hmm. So it's, it makes all, it's pretty easy to figure out where the bacteria in the soil come from because there's a lot of soil around the plant right. and it can kind of filter out which bacteria it wants to associate with or not. Whereas the leaves being above ground, there's no clear reservoir. So we know that bacteria come from the air and from rain um, and from other plants and stuff. Wait, but bacteria it's, come from rain? Yeah. So a lot of bacteria come, a lot of uh, colonization events on the leaf surface come from raindrops. Cool. Yeah. Because the and bacteria actually, are up in the, up in the, like what, what happens? Do they like yeah. t- go up on water droplets and then come back down? Like, is that exactly? Yeah. So Pseudomonas syringae specifically is really cool in that uh, being a pathogen, it's very well adapted to spreading to different plants. So it has uh, an ice nucleation protein that it produces. So it'll actually get sucked up in the clouds and then cause snow. So oh. it drops out of the clouds and then it lands on a plant and then it causes the plant leaf to freeze, which breaks the leaf and then it crawls inside and does all the damage. Dang. That's crazy. That's really cool. Yeah, it's super cool. If, you, uh, if you've ever actually done steam, you've seen the effects of this because most fake snow is produced using that ice nucleation protein. Oh, cool. Yeah. Nice. Wait, so like, even when, even at like, you know, room temperature, it could freeze things using this ice nucleation protein or? Um, not necessarily room temperature, but well above freezing. Right. Dang. Okay, so a bunch of different ways that the plants can get these bacteria, rain, mm-hmm. other plants, and then so it, you're kind of studying like how it filters out, how it selects for the good ones, basically? Sort of. Um, I'm, so, I, I'm a little bit more focused on how the bacteria that are already there um, select for what comes later. So how does the community that you have um, influence what new members can join, basically. Is it by chance, though? Like, what initial community forms? Because it's so like, we sort of don't know. rains down, whatever's in the, around them and other plants? A, a lot of it definitely is stochastic, so random. Um, but we do think that either the plant has some ability to choose which bacteria it wants to promote, um, or different bacteria do better or worse on the plant. So they're more likely to be there just as there's more of them sort of floating around. Um, so we see pretty, pretty replicable patterns on like leaves over time. And so communities are definitely changing and a lot of it is random, but there do seem to be some rules. And I'm sort of looking at what the rules are that decide who gets to be there and how well they're going to do. What, what are these kinds of rules? Uh, so it's a lot of ecological stuff. So you've got everything from like dispersal. So how well the bacteria is able to travel between leaves basically, or travel through the rain, et cetera. And then you've got a lot of competition based stuff. So 
if different members in the community don't get along or say they share the same resource that they use, they're going to compete for that resource. And so some bacteria are significantly better or worse at doing that, and they have different strategies for competition. So that's sort of what I focus on the most, is looking at how bacteria compete with each other and how that shapes the final community that you'll see when you eventually sequence a leaf. What is, what's bacterial competition like? What do, what do they do to each other? Uh, all sorts of things. So you have uh, direct and indirect competition. So they can either produce antibiotics to poison each other, basically. Dang. Um, or they can just try and grab up all of the shared resource more quickly than the other one. Wait, so uh, a bacteria, a bacterium, I guess, that can produce an antibiotic would necessarily have to be uh, resistant to that antibiotic, right? Yeah. Do, so the other, how, do, how does it get that capacity? <laughs> um, short answer, evolution. Right. Uh, longer answer, horizontal gene transfer. So bacteria have plasmids. Um, and so they can kind of share genetic elements between each other. So I think that's how some antibiotics spread throughout communities. And then other stuff just... Uh, evolving to produce toxins or producing um, secondary metabolites. So secondary metabolites are basically anything the bacteria puts out. So it takes in something, say like sugar, and then it'll produce other things as a byproduct. So they can um, evolve to produce secondary metabolites that uh, make the environment less, uh, less ideal for other bacteria. So they could like increase the pH, for example, of the leaf. Um, and make it so other bacteria can't grow as efficiently or something like that. Dang. It's a fierce competition on a plant leaf. Yeah, there's a lot going on. So are you studying specific interactions? So you said you were looking at that specific uh, bacteria that causes the speck on tomato. Mm -hmm. And so you're looking at, are you looking at specific other bacteria that uh, try to, I don't know, dissuade it from populating the leaves that it's trying to get on. Yeah, exactly. So I have um, a bunch of bacteria in the lab that I've collected from uh, field samples. So just going out to a bunch of tomato fields and grabbing leaves, uh, pulling off the bacteria and seeing what grows. And then I'm looking at a bunch of different uh, characteristics that those bacteria have and trying to see how important different things are in deciding how well they'll compete uh, with the pathogen and with each other. What kind of characteristics? Uh, so everything from just sequencing them and looking at their genomes, so you can look at what uh, potential they have metabolically by sequencing them. So doing metabolically to like produce those secondary metabolites that you were talking about, or yeah, to produce secondary metabolites and to consume different types of sugars. Um, yeah. So sugar is the uh, limiting resource on the leaf surface. So you have to be very good at getting sugar if you want to be a successful leaf bacteria. Yeah. Um, so looking at how those genomes predict uh, how well they'll do um, at eating sugar, basically, and then actually testing how well they do at eating different types of sugars and how many of those sugars do they share and how much better are each of them than each other and the pathogen. Right. So is it just like a, a plant can't avoid releasing sugar onto its plant or onto its leaf surface? Or like, is it actually is that part of the recruitment process to put those sugars out? That's a really good question. Um, so we do know that bacteria can actually change which sugars are being produced. 
uh, by releasing different um, compounds that mimic plant hormones. So that's super cool. So the bacteria definitely can kind of shape that environment a little bit. Uh, and we don't know how much the plant is actively releasing these sugars uh, to promote good bacteria living there, or it's, I mean, some of it's just going to leak out of the plant surface right. regardless. Um, but the plant probably has some ability to modulate it. We just sort of don't know how much. Right. But I mean, ideally it wouldn't want to release sugar, right? It would want to keep that for itself. Well, you could think that, so the bacterial pathogens, they live on the leaf surface for a little while and they eat sugar and then they eventually move into this, uh, into the plant. So right. they'll move to the, inside of the leaf and then sort of start wrecking havoc there. Um, so potentially the plant does produce sugar because then other bacteria will live there and they'll prevent the pathogen that could do more damage from getting there. So the pathogen could probably do some amount of damage, whether or not there was sugar on the leaf surface, right. um, depending on exactly how it uh, enters the plant and what its life cycle is like. Do you have like any, I don't know, things you've, already found or like results you've already gotten to in your research? Um, so something that I've seen the most is that, so a lot of this is definitely still in progress, right. um, but I definitely have seen a lot of um, difference in the bacteria and their ability to consume these sugars. So some bacteria just seem to be very well adapted to living on the leaf surface. Um, and that sort of makes sense because you see certain bacteria that are much more dominant, uh, whereas other bacteria are just really bad at consuming sugar and also pretty bad at living on the leaf. So it's really interesting to think about um, some of these bacteria probably love being on the leaf. So the pathogen definitely does um, some of the other good bacteria. So uh, they, they probably do, but some bacteria probably just get stuck there. Like they just happen to float by and land on a leaf and that's not really where they wanted to be. Right. Um, so I think it's really interesting um, just trying to figure out what bacteria actually wanted to be on the leaf, you know, uh, to kind of anthropomorphize them and which bacteria didn't and see how that changes what we know about leaf communities. Right. Yeah. There's so many bacteria and individual bacteria is just kind of like randomly like, you know, maybe life will work out for you. Maybe it won't. <laughs> yeah. And I think, that sort of applies to like the human gut too. I mean, we eat a lot of stuff that has a lot of bacteria on it and some of it wants to be there. Some of it doesn't, some of it does really well and some of it does fine, but kind of just ended up there by accident. Yeah. We're eating a lot of uh, plant leaves actually. So yeah. do we, um, I don't know. Do you ever see similarities between plant microbiomes and human microbiomes based on diets that people have? You know, that's a really good question, and that would be a cool thing to look into. Have you always been interested in studying um, bacteria? Uh, yeah. Um, so it's kind of funny. I actually ended up here sort of by accident. Um, I uh, used to study... Here in Berkeley? Or well, here as in this field? Here as in this field. Um, yeah. So I, ended, I started out in undergrad studying uh, fruit fly genetics and... Uh, beetle genetics so sort of more of a uh yeah more of a geneticist and then i actually had an issue with one of my big studies in fruit flies where uh, i was looking at the effect of bacteria on their ability to consume um lower high protein sources and i kept running this one bacteria that i just couldn't get rid of and it sort of messed up the whole study 
Um, but it got me thinking about how important bacteria are for their hosts. And then I uh, did some reading and realized that that's sort of what I wanted to do for grad school. So I switched gears completely um, and then moved into looking at bacteria. And I was looking at bacteria for a little while. And it actually took me a while to realize that I wasn't really a microbiologist, per se. Because I, I would say that microbiologists look more specifically at, like, what bacteria do on, like, a bacterium-by-bacterium basis. And I'm actually more of an ecologist where bacteria are cool and what they do is super cool. But what I'm most interested in is how they interact with each other and how communities form um, and develop and more importantly, why. I see. So you didn't want to be just limited to a single bacteria, bacterium. Yeah. Right. That's cool. So you just all of a sudden were struck by bacteria and like, because they were messing up your science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess that's kind of like, um, that's what they say, right? Like science, there's a lot of accidents and luck, right? Yeah. And everything that happens. So this is definitely a lucky accident. Very annoying at the time, but in retrospect, I'm glad I ended up here. Yeah. How did you, uh, how did you get into research in undergrad? Uh, so I always knew that I wanted to work in science in some way. So even as a little kid, I always loved science classes. I thought they were super cool. Um, and at that time, everyone was like, oh, so if you're into science, you'll be a doctor. And I was kind of like, oh, I guess maybe I'll be a doctor. And then it turns out I really hate blood. Um, and you sort of need <laughs> to be able to work with blood to be a doctor and make it through med school. Um, so I was like, okay. The bleeding canker is on that one, uh, one plant freak you out? That's actually fine. Yeah, <laughs> as long as it's not human, I guess. Um, so I was like, okay, I, I'm definitely not going to be a scientist. So I was like, okay, I'll try that. Um, so I knew that I wanted to do science when I was coming into undergrad. And I, I honestly just came to campus and wandered around uh, passing out my CV, which at the time had like worked at Burger King. It's <laughs> nice. like no qualifications whatsoever, but just wandered around from lab to lab, handing out my CV. Um, and said, hey, I'd love to work in your lab if you have a space for an undergrad. Um, and I just happened to wander into the office of uh, the woman that became my future boss. Uh, and she had just moved her lab uh, into the building. And this was, I think, her first day actually in lab. I walked in and handed her my CV. And she's like, yeah, I'd love to have an undergrad. You're hired. Nice. And I spent five years there. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Another case of like a lucky accident, right? <laughs> you just yeah. like stumbled in. There you go. Yeah, just sort of stumbling through science, one happy accident at a time. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, don't knock it. It works. Yeah. <laughs> I guess people don't know what they don't know, right? Yeah. You just kind of got to stumble through most of the time. <laughs> I mean, I figure if you end up doing, I think a lot of like success is sort of luck, not necessarily, not necessarily like blind luck, but if you know that you like something, and you're interested in it and you're good at it enough that you can just kind of wander somewhere and end up doing okay, then maybe that's where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. The secret is just like starting to wander in the right place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think what is it? Luck is what happens when uh, serendipity meets preparation. Nice. True. What kinds of things did you, uh, what did you like about science growing up? Uh, that's a good question. Honestly, I guess it was that it seemed like the field that was not 
complete there is some life to it i guess like science is still happening all of the time and we don't really know any i mean in the grand scheme of things we don't really know anything yet um so people are always figuring things out and everything else always just seems sort of like I don't know, a little bit more static or that moved more slowly. So I just thought it was cool to be able to work at something where it's you're the person putting stuff in textbooks. I always thought that would be interesting. Yeah. You wanted to work at the frontiers of things. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. What do you, uh, what do you think you'll do after grad school? Do you think you'll uh, be an academic? Uh, that's a great question. I hope so. Um, so I've definitely... I definitely would like to be an academic, but I know that the job market isn't necessarily that great in this field. So I've definitely been doing a lot of work with um, more private sector stuff. So I work with a startup right now um, and I'm trying to get more experience in the, yeah, in the private sector. So I can hopefully at least get a job. I mean, I, you know, you study like how you can maximize yields of crops. So I feel like you'll be fine, right? Yeah. People hopefully. always got to eat. <laughs> That's true. Tomatoes are important. Yeah. And your, your bacteria affects kiwis too, you know? Yeah, Don't everyone loves kiwis. Tomatoes. <laughs> so it looks like we're running out of time on the interview, but mm -hmm. usually at the end of the interview, we have a moment where guests can address the audience on, you know, issues related to their research or anything they'd like to talk about or, um, I don't know, science in general or whatever in general. Do you have anything you, any thoughts you'd like to leave uh, the audience with? Yeah, I would just end by saying that something that I definitely believe is that everyone's sort of a scientist in that everyone has curiosity about something or another. Uh, and it's really cool. And I feel really lucky that I happened to get paid for it. But I think that everyone should sort of just follow their curiosity and always try and learn. Um, yeah, and just go through life with that mindset because there is a lot that everyone can learn and there's a lot out there that people don't know. So everyone can contribute something um, and it makes life pretty interesting when you're trying to push at the forefront of that. Yeah. Cool. Hopefully everyone will go out and study something. Today I've been speaking with Eli Melferber um, from the Department of Integrative Biology. We've been talking about his research on... Uh, tomato plants and their bacterial communities. Mm -hmm. Again, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Tune in in two weeks for the next episode of The Graduates.